let's look at some of the policy issues. So I used to, when I began doing these talks, spend a lot of time saying, here's where we're hosed. Because right? you know, the, the, the people are going to be scared, the governments are going to ban it, or it's going to be already banned. But the exact reverse has happened to my surprise. And so three states now, plus the District of Columbia, have passed laws to enable the technology. Here's a picture of Google's car with the, the first autonomous testing plate. Uh, Continental and Audi also have testing plates now from the state of Nevada. Um, so we're seeing actually a surprise. The government actually rushing to say, we think this technology can save lives. How can we make it happen? Now, there's still a danger of overregulation. NHTSA recently uh, announced uh, some recommendations which said to the states, we think you should allow testing of these vehicles, but we don't think you should yet um, allow people to buy them and use them on the roads. And that's maybe not an unreasonable statement, except for the fact that once you ban something, um, it's pretty hard to unban it, at least in our government systems. It takes a long time for that change to happen. Uh, Brian Walker-Smith, who's here with us today, actually took the time to read a lot of state vehicle codes uh, and discovered that m most of those vehicle codes do not say anything that would actually ban these vehicles, that they were already legal, as it turned out. That's because the United States works by this fairly liberal principle. If they didn't forbid it, it's permitted. And for some reason, when they wrote the vehicle uh, codes 30, 40, however many years ago, they didn't think to write no robots in there. Uh, so it's not forbidden. Now, it's true that if there were serious problems, they probably would have forbidden it. But nonetheless, it wasn't illegal to test it. In fact, I argue that the way it's tested today is very similar to the way that we let teenagers get on the road for the first time, which is we put them in the, road, in the car with an adult, usually a driving instructor, who has his own brake pedal, has a way to grab the wheel, uh, and that driving instructor interferes if something goes wrong with the, the inexperienced teen. And this is how these cars are tested today. Google sends their cars out with two trained drivers who have gone through the safety testing, one at the wheel ready to take over at any moment, and the other um, who is uh, monitoring the software. Google just announced that they had gone over 90,000 miles since the last time they had to do a safety critical intervention, which means they intervene all the time, by the way. I, I should point that out. They believe that there's no, absolutely no desire to put the public at risk. And so the drivers are all told, if you see anything that might be a problem, you should grab the wheel. We will figure out later if the software would have done the wrong thing. Because um, they look at the logs and they play it back and they figure out what would have happened. And so, in fact, it's been 96,000 miles since those logs said the car would have done something wrong and would have hit someone. That's not as good as a human being. A human being goes about 250,000 miles on average between accidents right now. But it's remarkably close. It's remarkably close. And that's pretty good. So other jurisdictions may also be able to do things. In New Zealand, there's no liability for car crashes at all, which I think is kind of cool. Um, so maybe that's a good place to put a lab. Singapore has also got a regulatory system that's very, very different, where they can fix legal problems by fiat, which is sort of interesting. Israel is a small country where similar things might happen. Japan, of course, has a tremendous history with robotics and a lot of smart people, so we might see things happen there as well. But we're going to see in the U.S., it seems, the governments and the people actually lobbying for the technology. People who are getting old and see that blind video are saying, I need that. I'm going to need that when my vision goes, or the people who are already disabled are saying that. Drunks are going to say, great, I can get wasted and this car is going to take me home. And, of course, I often say that Jews are going to truly enjoy this technology because there's nothing Jews will enjoy more than sitting around arguing about whether it's legal to ride in a car like this on Saturday or not. So. <laughs> You've been there, okay. Well, 
so there are, of course, still can be some downsides. Uh, one of them is privacy. Uh, did I skip a slide there? Uh, I'll, I'll go back to it if I did. So with privacy, we have to worry about the fact that now we're putting cameras and sensors everywhere in our world, both in and out of the car, potentially. The vehicles are always recording because, let's face it, they're always going to be in development. This is like software. This is, uh, um, this is not like cars today, which once they sell them, that's it. They, the manufacturer never does anything with the car after you get it from them. Or Tesla just did a firmware update. It was like, everyone considered, my God, that's revolutionary. A firmware update? I can't believe it. But Tesla actually did an over-the-air firmware update, and that surprised people. So because of this, we're going to see a lot of recording going on, and we may see a circumstance where our own vehicles uh, might betray us in an accident or in other circumstances, which we don't usually like our technology to do. And if we move to that mobility-on-demand world where it's always taxis, it's probably going to not be the anonymous taxi system we have today where you can just go from place to place without your movements recorded, unless we work really hard to put an architecture for that, which is something that I push for. Um, we also have to consider effects on our freedom. Can we order a car like this to do something illegal? Uh, if you want to ask me later, I've, I have an article I haven't released yet about why these cars should not be compelled to go the speed limit. Um, and uh, there's actually some good mathematical arguments for it, but not just going the speed limit, but you know, turning off on a dirt road that's, that says no trespassing. Uh, what if you really feel you have to? Or will you have the ability? Will the police be able to redirect it? I don't know if you recognize this little scene from the movie Minority Report. So Minority Report was a movie that pretended to be about psychics predicting crimes and chasing Tom Cruise, but it was really about self-driving cars. And <laughs> it has this great scene in it where, in fact, uh, Tom Cruise is in his rebel car and he's riding away and the psychics have fingered him and, it's, and they, uh, they say to him, um, your car has a new destination. The new destination is your office. I thought that was actually a very nice UI design, by the way, because his office is the police station and uh, it's just giving him the nice short form of the destination for other people would say, we're taking you to jail, which is what it was doing. And that means Tom Cruise has to break out of the car and there's a big dramatic scene, which is unimportant. What's important is the self-driving car part. So uh, do we want the police to be able to command our cars to disobey us and betray us? It's a very interesting question. I also think we're going to see huge changes in how we think about traffic codes and law. And that's because I don't think that most of the traffic code and the vehicle code is necessary in a world where all the cars, or almost all the cars, are being driven by software written by, you know, let's say 40 to 50 teams around the world or around the country who can all get together in a room and resolve issues about how they will follow the main principles of the traffic code, which are to be safe and to not impede the progress of others. Uh, that's really all the traffic code is really there for.